want to speak about something, and I think most of you know that we're in a very serious situation in the world today. We have more nations fighting each other, stirring themselves up against each other all across North Africa and in the Middle East and in Central Africa and various other parts of the world, more as a whole than almost any time in recent memory. And now we have the Congress of the United States ready to do battle with the presidents, and there are more harsh words between the Democrats and Republicans than we normally have. And around the world, there seems to be a spirit of antagonism. It's as though Satan is stirring up trouble, stirring up trouble every way he can. I don't think the spirit war described in Revelation 12 has started yet. But when it does, we're going to see a lot more of that, a whole lot more of that. And we're living right over into this age. And yet this work, brethren, is growing in power. Most of you know that from the news. We're very grateful for this wonderful station we have over in Britain called CBS Reality that's reaching about 95% of all households over there. I appreciate your prayers for that station. We've never had a door to reach the British Isles as well as we have right now, and that's wonderful. And Mr. Hasselk and his team are doing a wonderful job of helping us increase the power of the Internet around the world, and you heard some of that in the announcements today as well. And in other ways, we're growing and we are very, very grateful for that work. Yet, of course, Satan doesn't like that. He sees what we're doing. And, of course, as we get bigger, as we have greater influence, well, he will attack us more and more. We know that. We're made in God's image. You and I are made in the image of God. And if we overcome, he knows that we're going to replace him. We were created by God to replace Satan and his demons as the rulers of this world. And, of course, he knows this and he doesn't like it. So we must over understand our adversary and overcome him because these satanic attacks are increasing. Some of our brethren at the, uh, you should say not just brethren, but ministers at the recent Council of Elders brought up how a lot more people are going through unusual trials at this time, trials of the demon attacks, unusual discouragements, troubles, and so on. And so he is going to attract us in this church and he will come after where God is working in a special way. And we need to realize that. As Mr. Dawson brought out, we can be very grateful, and I hope we are, that we have the wonderful freedom we do. We can have this wonderful hall. We can meet together in peace and unity. And we have blessings that God's people did not have in past ages at all. So we should be thankful. And we don't want to take from that. But we do need to be on our guard to preserve that blessing and to know that we are going to be with God and we'll have His special blessing and protection in the time to come. We're made in His image. Notice God's first description of how Satan began to come after the human race. Turn with me back to Genesis, if you would. Let's start right back in the book of Genesis. I know Mr. Armstrong used to start right at the beginning. And I think that is a good place to start where the Bible itself starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void or chaotic and confused, as the Hebrew means, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and, the, and the, God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Then he began to separate the day from the night. He began to separate the various uh, nations of the earth, the various continents, I should say, and the lands of the earth. And then he began to create the plants. He began to create the animals. And so the evening and the morning were the fifth day, verse 23, And the Lord God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature 
Verse 24, according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing, beast of the earth, each according to his kind, and each one did that, and God saw that it was good. Then in verse 26, then God said, let make us make, and of course remember the Hebrew word here is plural, us, not me, not one being, but the one we call God the Father today, and the one who emptied himself, who had been the Word, the Logos, the spokesman in the Old Testament, who became Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion. So at the very beginning, God created a type of being, human beings who were like him, and were obviously created to have rule. Satan was the present ruler and allowed to be there. And Satan saw that at the very beginning. Here were some beings, creatures, being created who were destined to replace him. They were supposed to have dominion over everything. And God allowed that. And God blessed them. He created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over everything. So man was created to rule. Man was created from the beginning to have dominion, and that was a direct threat to Satan the devil. So Satan didn't waste long to get onto that, of course, as we see. You turn over to chapter 3, verse 1, Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent, who we know was Satan, was more subtle. He was more cunning. Satan is very clever. And brethren, Satan will try to find out your weaknesses. If your weakness is sex... He will come after that. If your weakness is drinking too much liquor, he will come after that. If your weakness is losing your temper and hating other people or not forgiving other people, he will come after that. If your weakness is wanting money, he will come after that. If your weakness is wanting power, he will come after that. He will find out your weakness. He is not dumb. He is a very powerful being. He is very clever. And he will try to figure out where he can attack you and how he can win the battle. Because you and I are in a spirit battle and we good need to realize that and be on our toes. And so he came to the woman who was the weaker vessel. I'm not trying to insult our ladies. I'm just quoting from the Bible, as you know. He came to the woman. He picked on the weaker vessel at the very beginning. A woman is made... I know when I was a little boy... I appreciate so much the love of women who've helped me through, down through the years. And when I was a little seven, eight, nine-year-old boy, I had a, a magazine route. And I went around the neighborhoods, and they let, used to let us go up into the various apartments. Now they block people off. But I'd go up and knock on doors and in these various apartments. I know they had the Mayflower apartments called in Joplin, various ones I could remember when I was a little boy. And I'd look up. I was always hoped it would be a woman who would answer the door. Because it was a man, he said, well, I don't need it. And he closed the door. For a woman, she had a natural willingness to listen. She had a natural kindness. And one of the main qualities of a true woman, a true Christian woman, too, is responsiveness. A woman is responsive. And that's wonderful. She's made by, by God like that so she can respond to her husband and perceive his needs and want to help him and especially respond to her little children, want to help them in every way. Sometimes a little boy comes in crying and is cut, and his dad would say, go, you're, go tough it, be a man. And his mother says, oh, honey, come here, I want to fix your wound and take her up in his arms and comfort him. And the little boy will always remember that. 
But Satan knows that and he takes advantage of that. And he took advantage of that. Some rotten uh, animals among us men take advantage of women in a wrong way, as you know. Try to take advantage of them sexually, abuse them on college campuses. The record of rape and all that kind of thing is going up and up and up for women in the military, women on college campuses. Men take advantage of their stronger bodies and of their, the weakness or the willingness of the woman to partly cooperate, sometimes not realizing what she's getting herself into. So he came to the woman and he said, Has God indeed said? In other words, the way it's worded here, you can see he said, Well, what about this? Has God really said? How could he dare this type thing? How, how, how come God should say, You shall not eat of every tree? Why can't you eat of every tree? What's wrong? God's keeping something back from you. If you could understand the inflection Satan must have put on that. And the woman said, We may eat of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Very strong words. They were direct commands from God. And the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So that was the first lie. We know back in John 8:44, Satan is called the liar and the father of lies. The very first time he's revealed, he began to lie and lie and lie. And some people among us in the past have been liars, and they lie and they lie and they lie, and they seem to be living a lie. And they enjoy telling the lie more than they tell the truth. You have to come to know those people and realize that even though they can look at you with great big blue eyes and not have any funny look on their face, they lie. That's their entire way of life. Satan was a liar from the beginning. And so he said, he says, God is wrong here. Satan said, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's keeping something from you. You could be powerful. You could be beautiful. You could have great, awesome capacity if you'll just do what I say and not what this mean old God is telling you to do. From the beginning, Satan began to accuse God of being unfair. That's one of Satan's major tactics. He lies and he says in this way and that way, God is not fair. You know, God is withholding something from you. That's the message of because Hollywood... Satan the devil through Hollywood and the Hollywood movies and the things on the, on the Internet, the things on television. There's the idea is you ought to go ahead and live with each other, young men and women, without marriage and have sex. And if you don't just do that any time you want to, then it's as though your crazy religion is, is withholding something from you. God is withholding something from you. And God says, no, you'll have far more love in the end and far more peace of mind and far more happiness in the end if you use the gift of sex the way God said. But the teenage brain isn't fully wired. It's not fully mature. It doesn't think straight. So it just wants immediate gratification no matter what. And that's often become the American way. We want to buy things we don't need with money we don't have. We want it right now. So the college students in this country are literally not billions, but trillions of dollars in debt. They haven't spent their money rightly. Their kids, they want something right now. They think, well, because their father and mother had it. Yes, after 20 or 30 years of hard work, they've got to have the same car. They've got to have the same house. They've got to have the same type of benefits. All of a sudden, they want it, and they want it now. Satan puts that attitude in people 
and they don't get it. They don't realize they're being taken advantage of even in things like that over and over again. And people in our society are used to getting their own way. So if they don't get their own way, they get mad and they riot and they cause trouble. And again, they're caused to do things they should not do because of Satan the devil. And the idea is that they're supposed to get whatever they want when they want it and how they want it. So God knows that your eyes will be open and you'll know everything and do everything and have everything seemed to be the idea. So when the one saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband and he ate with her. And that's a mistake some men make. Men should never take advantage of their wives and put them down and harass them or beat them or abuse them mentally, physically, and emotionally. But men should not quickly follow their wives just because their wife has an idea. If you read God's command back in the statutes, if a woman's who's married makes a vow, even a vow to God, and is living with her father in his house, her father has the right, right then, to disallow that vow if he does it while the young woman's still in his house. And then when she's married, if she makes a vow, she's binding herself the rest of her life to do this or that. And her husband hears it and realizes it's wrong. He can disallow that vow. Women don't like to hear that today. But God has meant for the man to know the law of God, to have an objective way of viewing these things, and to keep his wife and keep his children from going the wrong way. And that comes back on the husband if he automatically lets the wife go here and go there and do this or that. I know Mr. Carl McNair worked with many of the men who went with these other groups, and he told me more than once he actually helped train some of them personally even after they graduated, and he named their names and their wives. He said, these Pacific ministers have always let their wives rule the roost. And so if the wife wants an easy way, not in this church, but he wants an easier way, and go, the husband would follow her automatically. He knew that these men would not do that on their own, but they would follow their wife and do that. So you wives have to realize you have responsibility not to be that way. Wives should not be like Mother Eve. With God's help, you don't have to be. But if a wife is that way... A husband could stop that and be the head of the house in a right way, a firm way, a loving way, and yet in a way that is with wisdom, with God's guidance, and show that to his wife so she can respect it. And if she's converted, she will respect it. We must be sure that Satan is working on people in these same ways he always did to drag down God's people and to turn people away from God and make them think that God is unfair. That's the whole idea in the world today. And I know that many of you women have to work, and we're not against that. We have a whole bunch of ladies in our office because our society is geared to making people have bigger houses, bigger cars, two or three TV sets, and they think they have all kinds of stuff. I grew up in a little house that was 1,000 or 1,200 square feet and not very big at all. And we were very, very happy. Some of the happiest days of my entire life were lived in that little house. We had no air conditioning. And when the summer came, boy, you got out of the shower and you were immediately in a sauna bath because there's no air conditioning. But we were very happy because we loved each other and our family and we weren't in need of anything we really had to have. But again, because of our society wanting more and more and more and because of the rich men, God talks about these rich men in Israel wanting land after land and adding on this and adding on that, and they're doing that in society today. 
I was reading the other day that actually only about uh, one out of 1,000 people control about 40% of the wealth. That's amazing. These wealthy people are getting wealthier and wealthier, and the poor people are getting poorer and poorer because the smart guys, the fat cats in, you know, Wall Street and these top bankers and business leaders have got the society so constructed they get richer where these wonderful people out of the world that are producing something and even very dedicated, loving school teachers that are teaching the truth, they may make only literally one five hundredth as much or one thousandth as much as some of these fat cats on Wall Street who are simply pushing pieces of paper around and going out for long marti double martini lunches and figuring out ways to make more money. They may not really be producing anything. They're simply extracting from the society. We have men, and I used to be a boxer in high school, as you know, and I liked that. I thought it was very exciting to be a, try to be a tough guy. I wasn't built like that, but I was good at my weight. But boxing is a terrible thing. Men are hitting each other in the head. They're incurring quite often permanent brain damage. I know in the, in the Y, not Hollywood Y, I lived there for a while, but in the Joplin Y, as I was growing up, we had a man who was living there. They often used to have whole living areas in the YMCAs for single men, and we called him Happy. He was about my height, but maybe 30, 50 pounds heavier, and he, he just was about... 50 years old. He wasn't really old yet, but he went around and, hi, you fellows, hi, that's about all he could say. And we say, hi, you happy. Happy had been hit in the head too much. He couldn't think right, so some of the local businessmen were willing to take care of him and somehow gave him a room at the Y. He had been damaged by boxing. He used to be a good boxer, but got his head bashed around too much, so we called him happy. He'd been punched drunk, and yet many of the boxers don't get punched drunk but they suffer in other ways, we know. But that doesn't mean they should do that. But if they do it, should they be paid millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars a year for hitting each other in the head for what we forbid men to do out on the street? We put them up in a ring and tell them to do that, and we pay them millions and millions of dollars while these nurses and school teachers and other good people are paid virtually nothing, virtually nothing for helping and serving our society is upside down because it is Satan's society. It has to be replaced and will be replaced in tomorrow's world. And when you understand that Satan is behind this whole society, he's got all this. He's got the women out of the house. He's got them out there working, which they shouldn't have to do. And therefore, we have more of these young men out robbing and raping and beating up on each other and going nuts because they haven't had a mother when they came home from school. They haven't had a normal house. They haven't had a father who is the head of the house. So they're causing more trouble. And there's more juvenile delinquency. There's more drug abuse. There's more robbery, more rape, all that kind of thing. Because our families are coming apart. Satan's society is constructed to do that. You think that's an accident? No, Satan the devil has worked it out that way. And he's specifically behind and trying to get at the British descended and American peoples. We are the sons of Joseph. And Satan is taking away our birthright bit by bit by bit. And we have lost the Suez Canal. We've lost the Panama Canal. We've lost virtually all of our great sea gates. We are going down while the Gentile nations are coming up. And back in the Old Testament, you see again and again where Satan was coming after Israel. Not just spiritual Israel, but the nations of Israel. Because they're God's people even indirectly. 
So Satan will continue to do that and tear our societies apart because he is the God of this age. And when you see these things happening in the world, you need to realize the, the real cause is Satan the devil. So we must understand and overcome Satan. We must learn to overcome Satan the devil. Notice how God describes all this. He shows us that people are pushed into thinking that God is unfair and that Satan's idea of competition, self-will, lawlessness is better than God's way. And the worship and obedience to the Ten Commandments is boring. It's not exciting. It is not good. That's Satan's sales pitch. He is going to wage war on national Israel, America, and the British-descended peoples. And finally, he will be behind a great deal of what happens in the Great Tribulation. Most of you have read that in your Bible. You know, it's not just an accident. Satan and his society is behind it. And he's also going to wave war, wage war on spiritual Israel, as Revelation 12 and many other scriptures tell us. He will come after us in this room. And you, brethren, hearing me today, the church of God, in a special way, he'll come after physical Israel and he'll come after spiritual Israel. So we must recognize the powerful enemy we have. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, and I'm going to begin reading here in verse 27. John 13 in your Bible. And beginning to read here in verse 27. Jesus, of course, was right there at the Last Supper, we call it, the Passover meal. And after the piece of bread, Satan entered Judas. Satan was there in person guiding Judas to destroy Christ. He started right out to destroy Christ. And then Jesus said, what you do, do quickly. So he went out and made this deal, of course, as we read on the next few verses with the Pharisees to try to destroy Christ and paid the money. Then you read over chapter uh, uh, 14, John 14 and verse 30. He said, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. So Judas had just given himself to Satan and Satan entered him and Christ said, Satan is coming. And Satan was coming right after him in the person of Judas Iscariot soon to destroy Christ. He viewed it as something directly from Satan. He understood what was happening. Often when things happen to us or happen to the church and we don't understand that Satan may be directly behind it. We have to be perceptive. We have to ask God to be, help us to be spiritually perceptive of what is going on. What is going on and who is doing it? And as for that spiritual perception, then we find back in chapter 18, if you turn to Revelation, I mean to John, again, the Gospel of John, chapter 18, and beginning here in verse 3, Judas was coming with a whole detachment of troops. And Judas, verse 3, having received the detachment, came there where Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane that last night. And he came there with with, with uh, lanterns, torches, and weapons. And instead of being afraid, Jesus was not a bit afraid, of course. He knew what was going to happen to him, but he knew that they were guided by Satan, they were confused, and he was going to win in the end, even though he had to suffer first. So he went right for them. He didn't run like he was a coward. He wasn't afraid of them. Knowing all things that were coming upon him, went forward. He didn't go backward. 
He didn't try to hide. He went forward and said, Whom are you seeking? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said, I am. And the word he is, you'll notice, is in italics. It's an italic print. And Jesus also said that back, if you remember, and I should perhaps turn that to refresh your memory back in John 8. I'll turn that for a moment before we go on with this story because it might help have more meaning that Jesus was actually saying the same words that referred to the God of the Old Testament, the I Am of, Re- of Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. So he, in, in John 8, if I can turn and get it here myself, yeah, they said to him, that is in John eight fifty six, the Jews said, your father Abraham no, he told them, uh, saw me and, and, and rejoiced in my day and saw it and was glad. And then the Jews said to him, verse, uh, this is verse 67, I'm sorry. No, 57. You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said, most assuredly I to say to you, before Abraham was, I am Before Abraham was, he then used an equivalent to the Hebrew back in Exodus 3.14, where God revealed his name. He says, my name is I am. That is the ever-living one, the one with life inherent within himself. That's me, I am. And they understood. They weren't ignorant back then of what this meant, and so they took up stones to kill him right then and so on. But he passed by. God let him get away. He used the I am. He used that again here. Then we saw in John chapter 18. And, of course, this is interesting that those people around it all understand it, but some of the Jews did. So he said, I am. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Then when he said to them, verse 6, back in John 18, verse 6, when he said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. They fell backward under the power of Satan because they were serving Satan. That was kind of interesting. Most people overlook that. Just before Christ died, he was backed up powerfully by God who caused this whole detachment of troops to literally fall over. He said, I am. And yet they got up and killed him anyway. They got up and said, well, this was all an accident, maybe an earthquake or a wind. I don't know what they thought. God allowed them to be totally deceived And, of course, they were going and destined and prophesied to kill Christ and crucify him. But he said, I am. He was the I am, the ever-living one facing them. So we have to understand the power of God and God's power over Satan the devil and God's power over Satan inside of Judas. Brethren, in case it doesn't come up in my notes again, I want all of you to hear, as Mr. Armstrong used to explain to us, and as most of you know if you read the Bible carefully, I want any of you who are new brethren to understand God will allow Satan to even bring fire down from heaven and by false prophets, as in Revelation 13, verse 13, he will allow him to cause great winds to come and all things to happen, as he did in the book of Job. But he told Satan, you could go so far and no further. So if you are walking with God... Not that you're perfect. None of us are perfect. Don't think I can't be that perfect. But if you're basically serving God and walking with God, God will not allow anything untoward to happen to you unless it's His will specifically. 
that you're a martyr or something like that, like Stephen was or like James, the brother of the Lord. God will not allow Satan to grab you and throw you on the ground. God will not allow Satan to strike you with some terrible thing. God will not allow Satan to bring down fire on you. And God will not tempt you, as you know, back in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, He will not tempt you nor allow anything else to tempt you beyond your ability. He will not force you. He will not allow Satan to force you to do anything de evil. I know Bill Cosby used to have the old joke, the devil did it. Well, the devil does influence us, but he doesn't make us do anything. Satan does not have the power to do that. So you don't need to be afraid of Dayton, Satan. He cannot force you to do anything. And that's an important thing to understand in all of this. So now let's turn back to... Well, let's, before we go on back there, I want to read one scripture I don't have here later on. And that is, it may fit in right at this point. Because it is an important concept in all these things as things happen to you along the way. And that's back in James, the book of James. And... Uh, Chapter 4 and verse 7. James 4, verse 7. He said, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. James 4, verse 7. That's a promise from God. Resist the devil. Don't just go along with these attitudes, these feelings, these ideas that come in your mind, wrong attitudes. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I've told you this story before. But it may be helpful for new people. When I was first converted, and I mean just weeks after I was converted, I was walking south from Mayfair, the student dormitory, down south, down south uh, uh, Orange Grove Avenue to this little park down there on, off, off the California Boulevard, Singer Park, I think the name of it is. And as I was kind of just taking a little stroll down there, in the middle of the day on Sunday or whenever it was, I don't remember, but I had an hour or two off and went down there. There was a man across the street. It wasn't a wide street, the other street, but he was across the street, a middle-aged man, maybe 50 or something like that, about my size. He wasn't either big or small. He wasn't ugly or anything wrong with him. I'd never seen him. And this idea came pounding in my brain, strangle him. I pictured myself going to strangle him. And it kept coming in my brain. I thought, What? I'd taken courses in junior college in psychology. I was presently taking one in ambassador college in psychology. I'd read books and ideas on that because it does tie in with religion. I didn't think of all that right then, but it did later. I thought, why did this thing come in my mind? I hadn't been reading anything like that. I had not seen any movies like that. Just right out of the blue, after I was dedicating my life to God and was baptized, this strange idea came in my brain of impulse, go across and do that. And I realized that was awful, but it kept coming. And what I did, I just walked real quickly toward Orange Grove and then virtually ran the two or three blocks back up toward Mayfair. And I went up and saw my roommate Herman Hay and maybe Raymond Cole or Raymond Nair, some of the older students, and I told them about it. And I was sort of out of breath. And they said, well, that's probably a demon attacking you. You were just baptized and he's come after you already. And you better fast, or maybe I just knew I should fast. I don't remember. But I do remember that's the first time in my life I'd ever fasted two days in a row. That really shook me up. So I fasted two days in a row. 
two days in a row with nothing but bread, not, no bread but water and fresh sunshine and, and ask God to rebuke that spirit. And that attitude and those feelings never came back again that same way because I learned in the future as, as something like that even starts in your mind, even starts in your mind, resist it immediately. Say, no way, no way. Father in heaven, help me. And Father, back this up. Rebuke Satan. Cast him away from me. Resist any attitudes like that. Resist anything like that. That's crazy. But terrible things will come upon you if you let your mind dwell on them. I remember counseling a freshman student because I was uh, one of the main counselors, the main counselor for many years as a freshman Bible class. And Herman Hay was more intellectual than me, but he was more into books and I was more into people and situations. And the students would come to me to counsel. And this one young man, he was a little shorter, a little more stocky, and not fairly strongly built, but he was a freshman student. And he didn't last past the freshman year, by the way. I made sure of that. I can't remember if we kicked him out right away or whatever, or he just left. But he came to me one day, and he kind of looked down. He said, well, he says, I have a real problem. And I said, what's your problem? I said, well, Mr. Meredith, that most of the men have their strength in their arms or their chest. He said, my, my strength is all down here. Oh, I said, your strength is all right down there in your sex organs. I said, well, that's a normal thing for young men. I said, what you need to do is to take 10 laps around the track and get a cold shower and get busy and so on. I, I would, didn't give him perfect psychological counseling, but he thought he had the strongest sex drive in the world. I said, you're just a teenager and you're nuts and you do not have the strongest sex drive in the world, but if these ideas come in, you've got to resist them. It was kind of abusing to me because I was still pretty young myself and uh, I, I could understand his problem, but he was weird. And he, we had to either kick him out or he dropped away and did not come back to college. You see, some men get these ideas and some of them give in to these ideas and they become sex perverts. But they need someone to get their mind straight, to get their mind straight. Sometimes it is a demon influencing them and they've got to learn to go to the prayer room and get down on their knees and say, God in heaven, help me. Drive this thing away. Whatever it is, brethren, that's turning you away from God, don't be afraid to cry out to God about it because you're fighting a very serious spiritual battle. So Satan is coming after spiritual Israel. He's also coming after physical Israel. Turn with me back to Daniel chapter 10 now. This is Daniel, the book of Daniel uh, chapter 10, if you would. And here in Daniel 10... Daniel had been seeking God and so on. And then in verse 10, Daniel 10, verse 10, then suddenly a hand touched me which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the day that you set your heart, think about this, have you set your heart ever the way Daniel did? When Mr. Armstrong began to build this work, he sometimes would fast and pray and fast and pray and studied the Bible for hours on end, asking God for understanding. God began to set his heart, or Daniel, to understand and to humble yourself before God. From the day that happened, your words were heard God does not fail to hear. He may not act the next hour. He may not act the next day. 
It may be weeks or months later, but he does hear if you cry out to God for help. Your words were heard, and I, this spirit being, a righteous angel, I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is this is Iran today, as you know, the Iranians are the ancient Persians. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. When you understand the various scriptures like this, as many scholars recognize, there are several references to it in the Bible. Behind each pagan kingdom, there was a demon or more. A certain spirit often dominates different religious denominations, brethren. I don't want to go into it, but we, without going into it, digressing, there's a certain type of attitude, and an obviously spirit is dominating those people who tend to have, if they're strong in that religion, they will have that kind of an attitude, the whole way of life, an approach, not just the doctrine, but a certain attitude you get to know because a certain spirit is there. This was the kingdom of Persia, and the demon was behind that one, so he began to block off God's righteous angel. He was obviously a demon. So he said, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Withstood who? Withstood this righteous angel, Gabriel. 21 days. And behold, Michael, Michael is always pictured as a very righteous angel. At the beginning, God created three cherubim, super archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and, and uh, Lucifer. And Lucifer, light bringer, turned aside and became Satan the devil and became named, named devil or Satan or adversary. But he had been called Lucifer or light bringer. But this one, Gabriel, was the one who often was used to bring special messages for God. And then he said, here, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. So one of the chief princes and one of the, of the three uh, archangels helped this, this uh, spirit fight against these false uh, demons. He came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. So the vision refers to many days. And then he said again, verse eight, verse 18, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said to Daniel, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Because these powerful spirits appeared and when a real angel appears, it can be very frightening and sometimes is depending upon how much power that angel shows in the encounter. It's interesting, brethren, how Satan is so clever. Satan the devil has all, all these, I used to call them blow-up movies, way back in, they started way back when my wife and I were living in, in England. It seemed like a whole series came out, Airport, and I can't remember all of them, just one thing, the airport airplane was blown up, and the next movie comes, something else was blown up, and something else was blown up. And Hollywood got on a whole roll of showing things being blown up back at that time more than ever before. But anyway, uh, they they just Satan has a way of, of free, free, free running what God does. He tries to run ahead and show these things in a false way. So when the real thing comes, people are not... They think it's a Hollywood movie or something. I've seen this before because Satan is trying to make it seem like it's happening in these Hollywood movies before it happens. So when the real thing comes along, the day after tomorrow and Armageddon and all these Hollywood movies try to picture what Hollywood producers 
who are sometimes chain-smoking marijuana and they're on a high, but some are, they're some kind of brilliant young men, but a lot of them are weird, have very terrible personal lives. They don't know God. They don't understand it all, but they have these knowledge of what's in the Bible. They can kind of make fun of it or kind of front-run, is the word I searched, front-run God by making it appear these things or show things like that in a Hollywood movie in a false way, then when the real things happen, people, kids here in America who live watching all this stuff all the time will be all confused. They won't understand reality. Their reality has been television. Their reality has been what's on the Internet for years and years, letting that stuff pound in their brain. In one way, I wish I'd grown up later so that I could be very familiar with all these modern contraptions like the young people are, but in another way, I'm glad that I was born when I was. I think I've told you this before. I was telling our fellows at the lunchroom the other day with some of our leaders. The first time, I was not in some backward area. My folks had radio and we went to movies and went all around. But the first time I ever saw television in my entire life was just as I was turning 18 years old in the Hollywood Y, in the lobby of the Hollywood YMCA in the uh, uh, summer of 1948. Television did not ever exist before then. You go back to 1946, 47. It was just in 48. The first television sets began to be shown, and they had these old Hopalong Cassidy movies and, you know, Charlie McCarthy and some old comedies and some old uh, reruns of comedy shows and stuff that was kind of dumb. Quiz programs and automatic, uh, you know, laughter, the fame, fake laughter and fake clapping and all that. It was very boring. So David Korn and I were living in the Hollywood Athletic Club and had jobs, and so we didn't spend time watching the television. We practically never saw it. We saw it a half an hour here just to see what this newfangled contraption was like. But it was so boring, we went out on Hollywood Boulevard and down Sunset Strip to see the real Hollywood, which was much cleaner and nicer back then, by the way, and much safer then than it is today. And we had a nice time. But we weren't wanting to watch this contraption, so by 1955, seven or eight years later, it began to be popular, as you read. You young people don't realize that. I was 25 or 26 years old, already ordained, ministering to people, driving myself, losing sleep, going on baptizing tours and raising up churches day and night before TV was ever popular. So I wasn't watching all this stuff, and I'm glad I wasn't. People talk about this show and that show. Well, I've never, I've heard of it, but I never had time to watch it. Have I missed anything? No. I can start mentioning these shows a lot of you people under 25 never even heard of before. It comes and goes. Most of the time in the last 50 years, this day would have been very noted. How many of you people under 25 know what day I'm talking about? This is a very special day today. No, I don't see, but, but it's the, the anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, November 22nd. They often made a big deal of it, but this time it's after 50 years. Last year was the 50th, so they noted it today. I was looking through the paper. It might have been somewhere. I couldn't even see it. Fifty years later, people don't remember all kinds of things. Fifty years later, a lot of people don't remember the young, beautiful movie stars were so popular. They don't remember the fancy, young, beautiful young girls that were playing parts that were so popular. They don't remember the Hollywood stars, and they don't remember the boxers and, the, and uh, John Davis and 
and uh, Jim Blanchard and the old uh, double uh, double threat uh, uh, on the uh, on the uh, uh, football team of uh, that that we used to hand. And I'm trying to forget the uh, foot, football team, but I remember their names. And they were played together, the ancient football players and they, and basketball players that were stars. Those things come and go, kids. They come and go. God's word and God's church goes on forever. And before long, the, the sex pots and the big Hollywood stars and others that you watch today that seem so exciting, they're going to be unheard of. They'll be totally forgotten. The latest Time magazine that has a picture of this young singer. I can't remember her name, but she's on the cover of Time magazine. It says, The Power of Jane, Jane Jones or some name. I don't know her name. Some of you look it up. The Power. I thought that's amusing. This pretty young singer, probably a nice young girl, but they put on the cover of Time magazine. Well, when I was growing up, what would be on the cover of Time magazine? Maybe Franklin Roosevelt, the President of the United States, or Winston Churchill, or a well-known powerful boxer that was known around the world, or some great star of something. So maybe she's well-known. I don't know. I never heard of her. And probably most of you people over 30 never heard of her. She may last for a few years, and then she'll fade, and no one will ever hear of her again. The fame of this world is very fleeting. It lasts a very short time. But these things go on forever. There are big spiritual battles going on. And we need to be part of the right side so you can be in God's kingdom, God's family, and live forever. This world won't be here too much longer. And these people will never be heard of again. So he said, Do you know why I've come to you? This, and the angel has came back. And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. So again, the prince of modern Iran was fighting this angel. And when I have gone forth... Indeed, the prince of Greece will come. So another demon behind the nation of Greece. And I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. But no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. So brethren, behind each pagan nation, behind each pagan church, behind each false doctrine, when you understand it, is a demon spirit. These Things come from demons. Satan is the God of this age. And the Bible makes that very, very clear. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if you would. 1 Corinthians in your New Testament chapter 10. And I'm going to begin reading here in verse uh, 11. He said, Now all these things happen to them, that is these temptations and God having to strike them down for disobedience, <laughs> as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come all these examples of the Old Testament are written for us therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall we must not assume we're going to make it if the righteous be saved how where shall the sinner appear it says near the end First Peter so think about that no temptation has overtaken you except it's his common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted of what you're able, but will uh, make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God will always make a way to escape. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. 
God tells us all and tells you young people, flee fornication. Don't let all these, uh, these uh, pagan uh, sex images enter your mind all the time and get your mind on that in a wrong way. Stay away from it. But you also flee idolatry. And idolatry is part of our society more than we realize. Idolatry for power, idolatry for getting more money, idolatry for being part of this society and having their respect rather than respect of God. I speak to you as wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. <clears throat> the cup of blessing which we bless, in other words, when we take the Lord's Supper, as people call it, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ when we take the Passover? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? In other words, in ancient Israel, were they just eating a hunk of meat? Or were they doing it as part of a worship and a communion with the Lord God of the armies of Israel? with the one who became Jesus Christ, who was part of that worship. What am I saying? That an idol is anything, or an idol doesn't have any power, or what is offered to an idol is anything. No, that's not power in itself. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, and brethren around us are the Gentiles, those who are outside God's church are all Gentiles, whether they're Jews or Greeks or Russians or Chinese or whatever we are, we are Gentiles that we're not in God's church spirit to the Gentiles sacrificed to demons. That's strong words for the Methodists, the Baptists, and so on, these other denominations, the Catholics. But what the word, the people of the world sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Stay away from pagan celebrations. Because without realizing it, they are partly a way of worshiping the devil. I know when I grew up as a little boy back in Missouri, and we were approaching this time of year, and they had the Santa Claus out and ringing the bells, and then the snow would come in Joplin much more than here, and we'd be singing Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, and Santa Claus, and all these different songs, and... You better be good, you better watch out, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town and all those songs. And then Patty and Catherine and I would come down the steps and we later were living in a bigger house and the fireplace and our socks and we were saying, wait, what Santa Claus gave us. Wasn't that sweet? Well, it was sweet in the sense the devil has a family atmosphere at Christmas time, which is good. He has beautiful music. He has all kinds of stuff. And frankly, brethren, the time is coming not too long from now when at the Feast of Tabernacles time, where God is not against beautiful music, we're going to have some of the most beautiful music we've ever dreamed of having. We'll have massive choirs of hundreds of people, great big orchestras and all kinds of ensembles and great big processions going up and down into Jerusalem and elsewhere around the world, worshiping the Lord God of the armies of Israel, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. And when they sing King of Kings and Lord of Lords then, they're going to understand what they're singing, what they're talking about, which they don't know today. He'll be here on this earth. And people will worship him, not for one day, but for eight days in a row. And instead of the attitude at Christmas time where people are expecting things, and again, some of you young people may not have read this, but look it up. You'll find this. It's been in the news for decades. 
often, I can't say every year, but I think it's virtually every year, the highest rate of suicide and depression in any time of the year is often in the Christmas, New Year's season because people are, know they're supposed to be happy, but they're not. They're trying to be happy, but what they're worshiping and what they're doing does not bring happiness. It's a trick. Satan has got something fake up there, and it doesn't bring genuine happiness. It just lasts for one day, whereas the Feast of Tabernacles lasts for eight days, and we ought to have pretty lights. God is not against pretty lights. We ought to have big bonfires and celebrations and music and all that stuff. We'll have it but we'll have it under Christ's guidance who can make it even more beautiful than we've ever seen it before at the Feast of Tabernacles time and other times like that when God does it. But these pagan festivals, when I was a little boy growing up in the Methodist church, we did all this stuff. And I remember talking to my parents and others, well, they, the, when the choir, the church choir used to come down from each side of the, of the choir loft, coming down like this to the where they sang just in, but behind the minister, they'd be singing as they come down or going up sometimes. Uh, fathers, praise God, or praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They'd be singing all this stuff. Well, what is the Holy Ghost? It was never explained. And I remember asking my parents, well, what is the Holy Ghost? I kind of pictured the Holy Ghost as kind of a something with a sheet over it and kind of like a ghost. I didn't know what it was. And my parents didn't really have much of an answer and most of the Protestants don't understand what they're doing. They're sincere. Satan has got them thinking this is good in this so-called Christmas season, but it's pagan. It pictures a false god, a false Christ, a little boy, little Lord Jesus away in a manger. You know, I can't remember all the words. I better not try to imitate them. But anyway, a bunch of stuff. A little helpless baby. He's only described as being born, and then later on, he's shown as a young man growing up who left his parents at age 12 to went up and discuss heartily with the Pharisees, with the scribes at Jerusalem. And then he came back, his mother said, what's wrong? My father, you, your father and I sought for you. Why, why are you up here? He said, he said, I must be, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? A kind of a play on word. She said, your father and I. She probably realized, or maybe she already knew, that he knew Joseph was not his real father. I must be about my father's business. Because by age 12, his pre-incarnate knowledge came back and Christ began to know who he was and was able to discuss with the highest religious authorities things that they could not understand. They marveled at his understanding and his answers. That kind of Christ is not understood in the Christmas celebrations and Easter celebration. He's dead. He's gone. He's resurrected. But what did he do in between? Not his message, just a little bit about a dead Christ. And we, we hope he's resurrected. We think so, although most people don't really truly believe that. They're not sure today if he even existed as a historical character. So they're not taught about the true Christ they're not taught about the true God. They're not taught about the true purpose of Christ, the true work of God. Nothing is there. It's all pagan from Satan the devil, the God of this age. Underlying all these false churches, underlying many of these events that we see happening today between the nations, underlying the false doctrines is the spiritual reality Underlying all that stuff is the spiritual reality of the demon world. 
there is a demon world lying underneath that, and that is real. Satan his demons are real. They are foisting all that stuff off on a very confused world. And you and I are living in that world, and we must do battle. And know that God will try to, or Satan will try to get at our mind and mess us up. If any way, he'll try to divide us and conquer us and so on and confuse us. He has many ways of doing that. Now notice that 1 Timothy 4, turn if you would to 1 Timothy now, and chapter 4, he says here, Now the Spirit, that is God's Holy Spirit, expressly says that in the latter times, that's our times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Oh, demons have doctrines. Yes, they do. And most of the ideas of so-called Christianity come directly from the demons. They don't come from God. The idea is that every, our sins were nailed to the cross, and therefore we don't have to obey God. The idea that the Sabbath is done away with, the holy days are done away with, and that all this kind of stuff, that, those are doctrines of demons. But he goes on. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with the hot iron, forbidding to marry. Can you imagine, God said at the beginning, God is not nasty. God is love. Perfect wisdom. He made us male and female. He specifically designed the male body and the female body in every part of us. And he wants a man and a woman to be together in marriage. He's not against that. He said, be, the first command is be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. He wants men and women to learn in marriage, to love each other, to give themselves to each other, to rejoice in the wife of your youth, as he commanded back in the Bible. He wants that. He's not against that at all if that's within his laws. But what does Satan come along? All through the so-called dark ages, he made people feel guilty about sex. You are dual. There's dualism. You have this spiritual nature up here. If you're off living in a, com in a convent or a, a monastery, but if the bad nature makes you want sex, the bad nature makes you want to enjoy liquor or good food or belt. You've got to crush that. That's bad. No, that's not bad. God wants you to enjoy good food and good wine if you do it in the right way. God wants you to enjoy the mate that you have if you do it within his laws. He wants that. He never intended anything else. That's why he made us male and female in the beginning. But the false church came along and the black-robed monks, and they began to do what? Forbidding to marry. It wasn't just a few people. Down through the Dark Ages for hundreds of years, you have tens of thousands, or perhaps hundreds of thousands or millions of young men and women who became monks and, 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 and nuns, and they were told they could never marry. Never marry. Therefore, they found under the nunneries around Europe when they somehow make repairs, they dig up, and they find little little pieces of bones, little babies who were aborted or murdered and so on, all over the place, because they couldn't crush that human instinct and they used it the wrong way. Yes, that part was wrong, but this damnable doctrine of demons is wrong too. Forbidding to marry, that was never said from God. That's a doctrine of demons, commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received. Back then they said that you couldn't even eat anything good you know you weren't supposed to eat meat you weren't supposed to drink wine you weren't supposed to do all kinds of things which god created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth that's not trying to do away with the law of clean and unclean meats it said forbidding to abstain from foods which god created to be received 
back in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, God tells you which foods He created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And Jesus said, John 17, 17, Your word is truth. So that tells us which foods were created to be received and which were not. But some of these churches today, without naming them, that they're numbered churches, very sincere people, one big Sabbath-keeping denomination. Most of their people think it's wrong to eat meat. Why? Because their pagan woman religious leaders started out saying it's a sin to eat meat. And that's from demons. That's not from God. That's not from God that millions of those people and millions of other sincere people in religions down through the ages have been told it's a sin to eat meat. No, it is not a sin to meet those meats which God has created to be received. And so God tells us back in Deuteronomy 14, you could kill the fatted calf at the Feast of Tabernacles. You can do those things. He talks about that specifically in the Bible. So let the Bible interpret the Bible. But these are called by God, not by me. Remember that. Don't get mad at me if you're an ex-Protestant. I was too. These are called doctrines of demons. That's what God says. Doctrines who come from false spirits. Doctrines of demons. These things seem innocent on the surface. They begin to warp and twist and pervert the plan of God and the purpose of God in making us male and female and giving us good food and good wine and wanting us to have a good uh, buoyant, joyous life in the right way. They water that down. They twist and pervert that by the doctrines of demons under the influence of fallen spirits. So we have to understand it's permeating every aspect of religion and every aspect of the society around us. Satan, of course, does everything he can to mess things up and he is behind these evil spirits and there is a spiritual realm behind the seeming nothingness of false religions underneath are demons. We must understand and come out of Satan's Babylon. This is all called Babylon. Back in Revelation 18, the whole society, God says, come out of her. We're in a spirit war, and we're going to see that war is going to soon get much worse. Revelation 12, Revelation 12 describes a coming time when Satan's going to directly fight God and be cast back down to this earth He'll be furious, and he'll come after God's people more than he ever has before. So we must resist Satan and his attempts, of course, to try to overthrow us in every way he can. Turn to Philippians, if you would. The book of Philippians, chapter 3. Philippians, chapter 3. And here in verse 17... He says, brethren, join in following us or join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Well, I don't say follow me, but follow Mr. Ames, follow Dr. Winnell, follow Mr. Wakefield, follow other, our other spiritual leaders, Mr. Weston and our other top leaders. Follow all of us as we follow Christ. You brethren here have a whole church and you can watch us and see what we're doing as a whole we have been a good, loyal, faithful ministry, and we teach you the truth, and you know that. You know that. People come along, and they make accusations about different ones of us or different ones of you and the church as a whole. That is often directly from Satan the devil. You here who work with us and see us day and night, you know better than that. Don't let that pervert your thinking, but follow those examples. 
wonder why we allow people to drink wine in moderation if you're a teetotaler. Learn why we have dances if they're done in the right way. Learn why we do other things. Follow those as a pattern. For many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. They're after people's wealth and, and they want power over others who set their mind on earthly things. They're wanting some earthly advantage. Paul wrote about these people. For our citizenship, our politeia, our ultimate citizenship is not as American or Canadian or Britain. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, working according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself. Think about that. Our citizenship ultimately is not here. We can be loyal to our American heritage, be very grateful for that, but our ultimate loyalty is to God. And we must know that, know we're citizens of the kingdom of God, begotten sons of God, and focus on that, not on the ways or the habits or the false practices of this world. We must come out of this world. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, if you turn back now to Ephesians chapter 2, brethren, and let's turn to Ephesians 2 and, and beginning in verse 1. Talking to these pagan Ephesians who'd come out from paganism. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verse 1, <clears throat> And he made alive you who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've all been sinners in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. There is a prince a powerful force in this world's atmosphere. He's called the prince of the power of the air. He broadcasts wrong ideas. He broadcasts wrong attitude. He ultimately is the control of the type of attitude imparted by Hollywood movies and television and the Internet and all this stuff. He's behind it. He's behind it more than people even begin to realize. Remember, he doesn't come straight at you the wrong way. Satan often gives you what? It's deceiving. He's clever. A mixture of good and evil. He doesn't come in a horrible, bad way and say, I'm evil. Everything I do is obviously evil. No, he's clever. Some of it looks good. He has a lot of humor in the way he puts down religion because he'll pick on wrong religious practices or odd ministers. He makes it look funny. He makes it look ridiculous. He's very clever but he is the God of this age who works in the sons of disobedience. He's busy. He never gets tired. And then we turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, brethren, something you're familiar with, but boy, we've sure got to always remember it. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not the power of our might. Think about that. I don't have any power. I remember back in the summer of 1957, back before a number of you young people were even born. I'm talking about July, August of 1957. It was very hot. And three of the leaders in God's church at that time who were still loyal and, and were serving in a period of weeks apart from each other, not months, it was all within about one month period. It was amazing. Garner Ted Armstrong and Bryce Clark 
was a great big, slightly bigger even than Mario and very strong logger, bull buck from the woods of, of Montana. And then uh, doc, my friend, Dr. Benjamin Ray, R-E-A, after whom I named my oldest son, Michael Ray. They were all good friends of mine, knew them all very, very well. And within a period of a few weeks apart, all of them in this very hot summer were lying in bed in the early morning hours. They'd always hit in the early morning hours sometime, and they would wake up and they felt something holding, 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 holding them down. And they couldn't get up and they'd press. And Bryce was very strong. Doesn't make any difference if you're fighting a spirit how strong you are. He said, I couldn't move. And finally, they all realized it was Satan the devil actually holding them down and began to pray fervently and cry out to God. And then each time it would lift, and it never came back. They weren't imagining anything. They had no reason to tell me. They didn't get up and announce it in church. They were just telling some of us, their friends, what was happening. And that happened within a period of a few weeks. There are times when Satan's on a roll. There are certain periods when he seems to be very active, and one thing after the other after the other will happen. Sometimes there's a wave of things happening. So we're going to see things like that, a whole wave of weird people killing people around this country. Maybe even de demonic Islamists cutting people's heads off right here. Other types of demonic activities in this country. And people insane. And people doing other perverted things under the power of what? And what won't all be imagination when you see these things happening that way. You'll know who's behind it. It is Satan the devil striking at physical Israel and is going to be striking at the church. He may unleash various accusations. He may try to come after us. I don't know how he'll come after us. If there's some great big scandal among us, you tell me about it. I don't know about it. I mean that sincerely. We have our sins, but basically our ministry has been very good and clean and pure, and I appreciate it. I thank God for it. He'll find a way to get at us, though. So we've got to be ready. We're in a spiritual war, brethren. So God says here, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, all of it. You're going to need all of it. That you may be able to stand against the wiles, the tricks, the stratagems of Satan the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We're fighting a whole army of demons, a whole army of demons, spiritual hosts of wickedness. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, not part of it. Please pray to God that God will give you all of it, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Don't run. Be like Jesus. He went forward. He said, I am he. You need to have no fear of Satan whether he comes through Judas Iscariot or comes some other man or woman, it's, it's your power behind you is much greater than that power. He who is with us is stronger than he is with them, always. You are God's people. You have power behind you, unlimited power. And you want to have faith in God and know he will take care of you if you trust in him and if you walk with him. Therefore, take up the whole armor and stand, therefore, girded, girding your waist with, the waist, with, with truth, the waste is where your drives for sex and food and liquor are all down there. That's not evil. Gird it with truth. Use your drives the way God said, according to His will, according to the examples of the Bible. Then He says, gird with that with truth. Take on the breastplate of righteousness. Right, your attitude is here in your heart. Have that be righteousness, a righteous attitude. 
and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Be busy doing God's work. The preparation of the gospel of peace. Be busy doing that work. Be busy doing that. Not let your mind wander on evil things. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. You've heard people say that. That often is that way. Keep busy doing the job. And above all, taking the shield of faith. Now sometimes love is the most important. We know that. Other times wisdom is the most important and described in Proverbs. But in this kind of situation, faith is the most important. You've got to know that God is there. You've got to know that He will give you the victory. You've got to know that more is with you than with them. And put your faith and trust in God in this battle. Put your total faith and trust and ask God for that faith. Build faith and walk with God in faith. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. If you let those darts come into your mind and into your body, pretty soon you're going to have confusion. You're going to have doubt. He'll make you dislike others. He'll make you distrust the ministry. He'll make you turn away from God. Don't let those darts, the poison darts, come into your mind or in your heart. Have that shield of faith. And take the helmet around your mind where God's Holy Spirit is. Take the helmet of salvation which will protect God's Spirit and the sword of the Spirit, the only offensive weapon you have, which is the Word of God. Study this book. You know the things we've told you so many times, but please do it, brethren. Don't just read, but study this book. It is the mind of God in print. Drink in of it. Read it over and over. Ask God to help you understand it. Ask God to help you be inspired by it. Then meditate on it. Ask God to help guide your thoughts to understand every aspect of it and how you can apply it in your life. Meditate and then pray on your knees. As I've said in the sermon I gave a couple of weeks ago on habit, the power of habit. Have you developed the habit of getting up in the morning before a day ever starts and gets underway and praying? Build that habit. You've got to have it. Don't walk out spiritually unclothed. Don't walk out of the house naked spiritually. Before you leave the house, pray to God on your knees. You're in a battle. A soldier wouldn't leave his tent and go out to fight if he didn't have on his armor or didn't have his gun or something. Don't do it. Be on your knees before God every morning. Pray. Pray fervently to God. Cry out to God to help you. Cry out to God to rebuke and chasten you and teach you every lesson you need to learn. Cry out to God to give you the strength to overcome yourself, to overcome the world, to overcome Satan, the devil, to overcome his demons. Cry out to God and then fast. Remember back in Mark 9, 29, Mark 9 and verse 29, the disciples were asking Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this demon? Jesus said, Mark 9, verse 29, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. Use the tool of fasting to humble yourself, to seek God, to have the spiritual power you need to win the battle. Use those tools. And the fifth tool, which I've not mentioned as much, you've got to use it too, is to walk with God. Use the strength you get from study, from meditation, from prayer, and from fasting, and walk with God and do the work of God. And prepare yourself to be a servant of the living God and the coming kingdom of God, for you will have power over Satan and where we will be in charge of this world, and Satan will not be. He will be in the bottomless pit, and we will be there with Christ, serving, walking, accomplishing, walk with God, talk with God, walk with Him forever, and walk right over with Christ into the kingdom of God.